the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. It was several years ago that there was a caller to the program around Easter time who identified themselves as a Christian since childhood, regular churchgoer, loved the Lord, tithe regularly. But as we were talking during the Easter season about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the caller went on to say that they didn't think that it was really that big of a deal, that it didn't matter if Christ's resurrection was literal or, or a figurative one. That conversation demonstrated to me that there are those within the body of believers who identify as Christians that are, well, from weak on the fundamentals to utterly failing to understand, grasp, and embrace even what is foundational to our faith. The extreme ineffectiveness, perhaps, of the gospel because of either biblical illiteracy or the unwillingness to outright acknowledge that we are in conflict, that we as Christians believe in what the Bible teaches about not just the identity of Christ, but the role that he plays on the world stage of providing that substitutionary sacrifice through and by which we might be, through faith and grace, reconciled unto the very Creator himself. Today we spend some time talking about that conflict that we seem in some cases to be avoiding as we're joined by best-selling author, senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, speaker on the broadcast Pathway to Victory, and of course uh, his latest book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. And Dr. Robert Jeffress, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for having me, Craig. Let's talk about this sense of conflict. Certainly, as we look at the world stage today, uh, we are in conflict. And particularly from the position of biblical Christianity, uh, we see there are two fundamental opposing views. There is biblical Christianity on one hand and the rest of the world. Sadly, though, there are many people, and a growing number, particularly in uh, Western Christianity, that seem to rather than recognize the conflict, it's almost as if we're choosing to eliminate it. Well, that's right. And the one statistic, Craig, that was behind my writing this book was the fact that 57% of evangelical Christians 
say there's more than one way to God other than faith in Jesus Christ, in spite of the fact that Jesus clearly said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And that is just astounding that Christians are waffling and wavering on the most foundational belief of historic Christianity. And you know, the truth is, Craig, if we give up this belief, we might as well close our church doors. I mean, if there are many ways to heaven, I mean, the death of Jesus Christ was a horrendous mistake. I mean, why did he suffer not just the physical agony, but the spiritual agony on the cross of bearing the sins of the world, if indeed all roads end up to heaven anyway? And uh, I just find that so many Christians are waffling on this issue that I wrote this book in order to, first of all, ground Christians so that they can reclaim this foundational truth, but also know how to share it in a compassionate, yes, but a compelling way with other people. From your perspective and viewpoint, Dr. Jeffers, how do we reconcile this? I mean, better than 50% of evangelical Christians that do not fundamentally have a grasp on the foundation of our faith. I understand that, you know, American, we must certainly embrace our pluralism from a constitutional liberty view. I get that. But Christians can't be embracing this pluralism from a theological view. I mean, to do so at the core is an anathema. Well, it is. And look, I think what's happened here is we've allowed the world to browbeat us into believing that to tell people that Buddhism is wrong and Islam is wrong and Hinduism is wrong, that that's hateful and intolerant, and nobody wants to be uh, accused of that. But really, if Jesus is the only way to heaven, the most loving thing we can do is share that with somebody. I was on a plane not long ago, and I was seated next to a guy, and he found out I was a Christian pastor, and he said, you know, I used used to be a Christian, but I gave it up. And I said, well, why did you give it up? He said, I could no longer worship a God who was so intolerant as to say there was only one way to worship him. So I said to him, just imagine this airplane were to crash. The cabin started filling up with smoke. The flight attendant stood at the front of the plane, waving a flashlight, saying, follow me. There's one way out of this burning airplane. Would you accuse her of being intolerant or hateful because she insisted there was only one way out? Of course not. You would thank her and you would follow her. And and that's what we've got to do, Craig, is realize that this message is not a message of hate. It's a message of love. If we hated Muslims and, and Buddhists and Hindus, we would keep our mouths shut. But this truth that Christ is the way to heaven was meant not to keep people out of heaven, but to invite them in. Part of the issue here, too, Dr. Jeffers, perhaps a, a, a stigma that is infecting certainly American culture, if not Western culture overall, this notion that somehow it's more important to be liked than be truthful about God's word. I mean, there is a, perhaps a bit of an inconvenience to that passage in John 14, where Christ declares that he is the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father but through him. And of course, if we speak that truth in that fashion, uh, we're not always going to be necessarily the most popular person at the party. No, we're not. But again, if a fireman's trying to lead you out of a house that's on fire, do you really care, you know, <laughs> what kind of tone he uses when he says, follow me? <laughs> I mean, you want to get out. I think the bottom line, what it comes back to is, Craig, many Christians really don't believe what Jesus said. They really believe that there's more than one way to God. And I don't think they've thought through the implications of this. Look, if Jesus was wrong when he said, no man comes to the Father but by me, and really all roads do lead to heaven— 
he was wrong because either he was lying, he knew what he was saying was untrue, or he was mistaken, he didn't know what he was talking about, and therefore was not omniscient. Either way, if Jesus was wrong, he's not the Son of God. If he's not the Son of God, then when he died on the cross, he died for his sins, not for our sins, and that means you and I are still left in our sins. What I'm saying is Christianity, the whole faith unravels like a cheap sweater if Jesus was wrong on this signal issue. It's almost as if we don't want to accept um, the exclusivity of Christianity because we're afraid that perhaps someone won't believe as we do and therefore be left out and we don't want to be mean toward people. It's almost as if we don't we don't understand the dynamic of the fact that it's God's creation, he gets to set the rules, and, and even this notion deeper in terms of the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God, it seems like there's a, a fundamental disconnect there. Oh, there is. You know, my friend David Jeremiah did the blurb on the cover of the book, and he tells a great story I recount in the book. You know, he said one day after Sunday sermon, a woman came up to him, just irate, and she said, Dr. Jeremiah, I want you to know the God I serve, the God I serve would not send people to hell for simply not believing in Jesus. And David surprised her by saying, you're right. The God you serve wouldn't do that because the God you serve is an imaginary God. And that's what's happened. You know, somebody said uh, God created man in his own image, and ever since that time, man has tried to return the favor. <laughs> I mean, most of us have created the God we wish existed rather than worshiping the God who actually exists. And when you look at the God of the Bible, the real Bible, he's holy. We're not. There's a chasm between us, and Christ is not just one way. He's the only way to bridge that, ca- ca- uh, that, uh, that great divide, that chasm. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus fell down and cried out to the Heavenly Father, Father, if there is any way, any other way, let this experience pass by me. But there was no other way. That's why heaven was silent. Jesus' death on the cross was the only way to bridge that chasm between God and man. We would like to serve a tolerant God, but forget that we actually serve a God who is a just God. That's right. And, you know, God is just and God is loving. God's justice demands that a payment be made for our sin. God's love provides that he made the payment himself. And really, the cross of Jesus Christ is the intersection of God's justice and his love. There is this obsession that America seems to have with tolerance these days, and I want to talk a bit about that when we come back after a brief break. If you've just joined the conversation, our visit today with pastor, radio speaker, and best-selling author, Dr. Robert Jeffress. His new book, perhaps one of the most critical ones and certainly most foundational of a topic through the fundamental historical Christian faith. Not all roads lead to heaven. Dr. Robert Jeffress, our guest. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Special guest on today's edition of Lifeline, we're visiting with senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas and speaker on Pathway to Victory broadcast, best-selling author, Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. I'm curious about part of this issue here, Dr. Jeffress, if where we're, we're, we're failing at this point 
is that we've perhaps laid a lot of our faith at the so-called altar of tolerance, this notion that, well, if God is really a loving God, surely he will accept us so long as we are sincere in our effort to reach him, whether we call God Allah, Yahweh, or Maitreya. Well, that's right. And by the way, that's one of the objections that I deal with in this book. You know, I wrote this book, Craig, so that people could reclaim this belief that Christ is the only way to heaven. And I, you know, answer seven of the major objections to that belief. The one you just raised. Well, you know, people simply call God by a different name. Or the objection, well, what about those who have never heard the name of Jesus? Isn't it unfair that God would send them to hell for rejecting of Jesus? they never heard of, or what happens to infants and small children who are too young to trust in Christ? First Peter 3.15 says we need to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us for the hope that is within us. But uh, let's take that question you just raised about, well, you know, what about tolerance, or what about people who just call God by another name? Well, you know, names <clears throat> mean something. Allah of the Quran is not Jehovah God of the Bible. Allah is an imaginary God. Jehovah is a real God. Allah has no sons. Jehovah has one son who died on the cross for our sins. Allah says the land of Israel belongs to the descendants of Ishmael. Jehovah God, the real Bible, says the God that Israel belongs to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are not the same gods. And I illustrated that to my congregation, Greg, uh, a few weeks ago. I was talking about David Jeremiah. I said to my congregation, just suppose for several weeks we announced that Dr. Jeremiah was going to be the guest preacher at our church. And everybody packed in on a particular Sunday to hear David Jeremiah. But instead, I stood up and preached. And after the service, a few of you came up to me and trying to mask your disappointment said, well, wait a minute, is Dr. Jeremiah sick today? Oh, no, not that I know of, I said. Well, the bulletin says he's going to preach here. It says right here, David Jeremiah. I said, oh, well, David Jeremiah is just another name I go by sometimes. Sometimes I use David Jeremiah, sometimes Joel Olstein, sometimes Al Sharpton, but we're all preachers. We're all the same. <laughs> well, that's ridiculous. Names represent something. And the Bible says in Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. First John 5.13 says, these things have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. God, that you might have eternal life. Now, part of this is not only a, a complete disconnect from the fundamental teachings of our faith, but perhaps some, some extreme intellectual dishonesty, too. I mean, isn't this partly born out of this notion that somehow it, it, it's possible to have multiple truths all yeah, be valid yeah. simultaneously? Boy, you hit the nail on the head with that. In fact, that's one of the things I talk about in Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. You know, there's what we call absolute truth. And then there's relative truth. Both are real phenomenon. There's absolute truth and relative truth. For example, if I ask you, what temperature does water freeze at? Well, the answer is 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It's not 35 degrees. It's not 16. It's 32 degrees is the freezing temperature of water. But if I were to ask you, what's a comfortable room temperature? Well, that's relative truth. For some people, it's 72. For some people, it's 68. For some people, it's 55. When it comes to the question, how can a person have a right relationship with God, the world today thinks 
that's a relative truth. It's a matter of whatever you think it is. But God says, no, there's an absolute answer to that question. There is only one way to me, and it's through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's not a new concept. I show in the book, I have a chapter called The Old Way Was One Way, showing how from the very beginning of the Old Testament, God always required an exclusive way to worship him. I wonder if we come back full circle that this also doesn't reveal a fundamental um, inaccuracy or misunderstanding of everything from the nature of God to the nature of mankind, the notion of God's demand for sacrifice for the remission of sin, uh, and that there, there's a disconnect here so that all of a sudden we get very, well, I was going to say sloppy grace, it's almost non-existent grace, because we're trying to define the terms of engagement with God based on our terms as opposed to his terms. Another great point. You know, the problem, the reason we embrace this uh, uh, inclusivism and reject exclusivity is because of two things. First of all, we think too little of God, and secondly, we think too high of ourselves. Uh, You know, we think, well, we're able to overlook sin in other people. Why can't God be as tolerant as we are? I mean, every day we overlook sin in others, we overlook sin in ourselves. But the fact that we do that is not a sign of our... Uh, how much we are like God, it's a sign of how much we are unlike God. You know, the word uh, holy means a cut above, separate, distinct. God is called holy. He is different than we are. He said through Habakkuk the prophet, mine eyes are too pure to uh, see evil. God cannot tolerate evil like we are. He is holy. We're not. And we overestimate our own goodness as well. You know, we tend to judge ourselves based on other people. We find somebody who's worse than we are and say, well, at least I'm not as bad as Adolf Hitler, Osama bin Laden, the drug dealer, the child molester. I must be pretty good. But that's not the standard God uses. You know, I remind people that the geographical distance between the North Pole and the South Pole is considerable. But it's also negligible when compared to the distance between the North Pole and the farthest star in the universe. It's the same way with us. The difference between human beings seems to be a great deal. You know, the difference between Hitler and Walt Disney seems to be a lot of difference in in morality. But in God's eyes, the difference between Walt Disney and Adolf Hitler is negligible compared to the difference between Walt Disney and you and me and God, who is absolutely perfect. And only Jesus Christ can bridge that gap between God and man. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We all must make a payment for our sins or allow God to make that payment for us. So a fundamental misunderstanding of not only the character of God, but who we are in relationship to God's character. And then at the other extreme, and that is perhaps a fundamental denial of Satan and his efforts at not only watering down the gospel, but the outright perversion of that message. Well, that's right. And, uh, you know, the Bible says to avoid the way of Cain in Jude verse 11. The way of Cain describes Cain's uh, 
decision that he would try to approach God on his own terms rather than God's terms. And every other world religion, Craig, is really a a deviation or a derivation of the way of Cain, man's attempt to approach God in his own way. And, uh, you know, 2 Corinthians 11 says that Satan appears as an angel of light to deceive people. And other religions are really tools of Satan to lead people away from God. You know, when he says an angel of light, he appears sometimes as, isn't it interesting that Muhammad uh, claims that he received an angelic revelation of Islam and that Joseph Smith uh, claims that an angel delivered to him the teaching of Mormonism? I have no doubt an angel appeared to both men, but it wasn't an angel from God. And uh, Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 11, we should not be surprised that Satan's servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Many world religions, uh, many uh, groups, uh, I mean, they, they sound good, they look good, they sound like they're teaching great moral principles, but they are leading people away from the only way to God, which is faith in Christ alone. Well, and at the core, too, not only is it the sense of, you know, all roads lead to heaven, biblically ignorant, it shows that we're, we're theologically dishonest here. You make a beautiful illustration inside of your book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, this idea that somehow I can get on any highway and wind up at First Baptist Church in Dallas. Now, I guarantee you, if I took off here and got on 101 here in the San Francisco Bay Area, it could lead me to San Diego and eventually to Mexico, and I could make my way all the way up through the Oregon coast and eventually wind up in Canada. But no matter what direction I go on Highway 101, here's what I can guarantee you. It will not lead me to First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. That's right. And, you know, let's say, let's keep that analogy. Let's say that, that, that in fact, all roads do lead to heaven. Well, that means Christianity is wrong. Uh, If if Jesus is wrong about this, then you put your faith in the wrong person. Christianity is not the way to heaven if Jesus was wrong about this. But then here's the question. Which of the other thousands of ways to God do you choose? Uh, and, and, and what really confuses the matter is most all of other religions claim to be exclusive as well. So, I mean, you're left with not knowing how to get there if Christianity is wrong. And the fact is, I mean, all different religions are not different roads that lead up the same mountain of truth. Jesus said there's only one way to him. Our guest today, Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Wrestling author Dr. Robert Jeffress, a look at his new book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, sharing an exclusive Jesus in an inclusive world. By the way, the new book recently published by Baker Books, available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also order it through Dr. Jeffress's website associated with the broadcast Pathway to Victory. Simply go to ptv.org. That's ptv.org. In your book, Dr. Jeffress, you walk through four, I think, very fundamental and yet critical definitions that I think will help the average reader better understand um, not only the slippery slope that, that leads to some of this very sloppy and dangerous theology, but also the importance of, of defining the differences between some of these fundamental worldviews. Walk us through 
through, if you would, briefly, some definitions on universalism, pluralism, inclusivism, and exclusivism. Well, I don't want to get lost in the theological weeds in the few minutes that we have, but let me just basically say, you know, universalism is the belief that uh, everybody is going to heaven regardless of what they believe or don't believe. Pluralism kind of limits it to what needs to be religious people, but it really doesn't matter uh, what uh, religious people, uh, what religion it is, that people are saved by the death of Jesus Christ, whether they know his name or not. And that's the point that I want to make, because one of the key questions, Craig, is, well, what about those who have never heard about Jesus? The pluralists would say that's really no problem, that they are welcomed into heaven anyway. And yet, that's not what the Bible teaches. You cannot find one example in the New Testament of anyone uh, being saved apart from a personal faith in Jesus. Of course, the objection is, well, what about those who have never heard? Isn't it patently unfair for God to send people to hell who've never heard about Jesus? And here's the answer I give in the chapter devoted to this. Romans 1 says, everyone, by looking at creation, can know that there is a God. And although an acceptance of the, uh, the existence of God is not enough to save a person, it is enough if rejected to condemn a person. You know, we used to talk about the heathen in Africa, as if all the heathen congregated in Africa. I'm not sure that's why that was, but let's, let's talk about a 12-year-old girl who lives in Syria. She's never heard about Jesus, never seen a Bible. How is she saved? Well, she can look into the heavens and know she didn't create this world. That can't save her, but if she responds to the light God gives her, I think the Bible is clear that God will send to that girl the light she needs to trust in Jesus as her Savior. I mean, he did that for the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. Here was a guy who wanted to know God. He's in his chariot reading Isaiah, can't make heads or tails of it. God miraculously sends uh, the evangelist Philip with the message of the gospel. Or think about the Roman centurion, Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. He was a lover of God, prayed regularly, gave his money to the poor. By most people's standards, that should be enough to go to heaven, but not by God's standard. He needed to hear Jesus, and so God miraculously sends Peter to preach to him the gospel. What I'm saying is, whenever God sees a heart that really wants to know him, you can know for sure that God is going to get the information about Jesus that person needs to be saved. And certainly if God is capable of sending his only son to be born of a virgin, to suffer, die, rise again on the third day, if God is capable of doing all of that, he is certainly capable of individually revealing himself to persons who are perhaps beyond the reach of the church or not having uh, ever been exposed to the gospel in the fashion and form in which we would understand it. Well, that's right, and I don't think it's any accident that missionaries go where they go. I don't think it's any accident that the radio signals and television signals and the Internet literally reach around the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. What do we make of some of these individuals? And there are big names that come to mind, including the one big one that's down in your home state that <laughs> would look seriously at the television screen and say, well, now when it comes to this matter of uh, does this mean that someone, for example, who 
is um, Jewish is necessarily going to hell? How do we deal with this exclusivity, the notion that salvation is limited to those who exercise faith in Christ and Christ alone? And, of course, we've heard these answers. You articulate one in the book that's sort of this, well, I'm not sure, don't know, not up to me to judge. How do we give an answer for that from a biblical perspective? Well, and we've all seen people wilt under the television lights and basically, you know, break out in a sweat, stutter and stammer and basically say, I don't know, I don't know. We have to leave that up to God. Well, the problem with that is God has already made his judgment about that. And he's articulated it in the scripture. And we need to be bold and compassionate and share that message with other people as well to save them from hell. You know, when people... uh, accuse me of being anti-Semitic. I've been accused of that because I insist that Jews, like everybody else, must trust in Christ to be saved. That's not anti-Semitic. Jesus is the one who said it. Last time I checked, he was a Jew. The Apostle Peter was a Jew who said it. Acts 4.12, there is no salvation except by the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul was the Hebrew of the Hebrews, the Jew of the Jews, and yet he gave his entire life to preaching that there is no salvation apart from the name of Jesus. So when you have the three most prominent Jews of the New Testament saying you have to believe in Jesus, well, I mean, I think that speaks for itself. Early on in the book, you talk about this notion that uh, part of this slippery slope has been the fact that largely we as evangelical Christians on this very topic have been outmarketed, outmaneuvered, huh. outfought, and outargued. How do we come back full circle? How do we redeem this to bring it back, back to this fundamental teaching that narrow, as the scripture tells us, narrow is the gate? Well, you know, the fact is, I, I think the fact that 57% of evangelicals believe there's more than one way to God, I mean, it really is a reflection on what's being taught and not being taught in the pulpits today. I mean, as I, you mentioned, several major pastors who are waffling on this issue. My old professor at Dallas Seminary, Howard Hendricks, used to say, whatever is a mist in the pulpit becomes a fog in the pew. And I think a lot of people in the pew are foggy about this issue because they're not hearing it taught from pastors who want to be loving and kind and don't want to run anybody off and so forth. And they are neglecting their role to be prophets and evangelists teaching the Word of God. And, Craig, let me just say in the closing moments, that's why I wrote Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, to equip Christians to reclaim this truth. And I encourage Christians to get it and read it for themselves. But also be ready to share that answer. You know, most people, if their child or grandchild asks them, well, do you believe a a Muslim is going to hell? How could you say that? They wouldn't know what to say. Or if they were asked, well, what about children and infants who are too young to trust in Christ? They couldn't give any reason why they believe they're in heaven. All of those things I cover in my book. And as we enter this Easter season especially, as people are more open to Jesus, maybe some of our listeners know people who follow other faiths. They've never known how to approach them without offending them. Here's a great idea. Get a copy of Not All Roads Lead to Heaven and just give it to them as a gift, saying, I'd like to share with you why my faith is so important to me. I'll guarantee you this title, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, will grab their attention immediately, and it may be a great conversation starter. Are we as the church... As we kind of conclude our conversation together, Dr. Jeffress, are we as as the church at at a very critical 
crossroads because it, it, it occurs to me that this is a this is as as they say sometimes the deal breaker. Yeah. Uh, that, that if we as the church do not fundamentally understand, if we're not capable of of giving an answer for the hope that lies within, as Scripture exhorts us, if we do not understand the necessity of atonement, or if we somehow uh, recoil against this notion of, of spilt blood, atonement for sin, uh, appeasement, uh, propitiation, things of this sort, if 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 we find all of that very uncomfortable, and we are therefore not able to effectively communicate the faith that we supposedly live and believe in, it would seem to me that 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 absent that, that the church becomes horrifically neutered. It does. And look, you know, you made an allusion to this. We lost the gay marriage battle because we were outfought, outfought, and outmarketed on the issue. And, you know, marriage is a very important issue, but it pales in comparison to this issue. This issue is the foundation of the Christian faith. How can a person be reconciled with God? And if we allow ourselves to be outfought, outfought, and outmarketed on this, really, we need to shut the doors of our church and uh, keep our money for ourselves. Forget about evangelism and missions. We don't have a message to share with anyone if everyone's going to be in heaven anyway. A sobering message that comes from the very heart of God himself. Don't believe me? Read the scripture. And you can work through a better understanding of this topic, not only for yourself, but in sharing your faith with others, as Dr. Robert Jeffers so aptly points out. The book, Not All Roads Lead to Heaven, Sharing an Exclusive Jesus in an Inclusive World. Newly published, as we mentioned earlier, by Baker Books. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as ordering it online through the Pathway to Victory website at ptv.org. That's ptv. And our thanks, as always, to Dr. Robert Jeffress, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church of Dallas and speaker on Pathway to Victory. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I had a boss years ago when I was just a young buck, a lot of years ago, (laughs) who said to me when he was going to be out of town and uh, leaving me in charge, he said, now, Craig, if something comes up, if there's some sort of an emergency or a problem or an issue that develops, I would rather you do something to address it, even if that something is wrong, than rather do nothing at all. Pretty solid advice, I think, and I've carried that with me all these years. I think that that same viewpoint perhaps might be apropos to the tens of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of Christians who every year continue to struggle with the big question. Meaning, what exactly does God have in store for me? What is his plan for my life. We know that God has a plan. A lot of folks feel as if he's not been willing to share that plan. And so as a result, we kind of sit back idly, quietly, doing absolutely nothing, waiting for, I don't know, sky riding in the sky, the thunderous voice of God to awaken us one night, something of a significant sign. And I have to wonder if maybe the advice that was given to me by my boss many, many years ago might be the same advice that God might offer anyone who is struggling to try and identify their calling, what God's will is for their life, that he would rather you do something then absolutely nothing. Joining me now is Johnny Moore. He is chief of staff to Mark Burnett, Roma Downey. Of course, Mark is creator of a number of um, award-winning 
series, you'll recognize Survivor, Amazing Race, the Bible miniseries, the movie, The Son of God. He spent many years serving as both campus pastor and senior vice president of Liberty University. He's made a big change, and he's detailing not just his own personal experience, but helps to answer this big question of what it is that I'm supposed to do with my life. We welcome Johnny Moore to the conversation. Johnny, great to have you with us today. Thanks, Craig. Good to be with you. This is um, this is a question I think that all of us struggle with, certainly as believers. Sometimes we, we struggle with it at multiple times and occasions in our life as the circumstances around us change. This notion of trying to ascertain what exactly is that God wants me to do with my life. I think it's encouraging to see so many Christians that want to be sensitive to the Lord's will, but frustrating that so many will waste sometimes weeks, months, years, a lifetime, never really quite feeling as if they'd gotten an answer to that question. Yeah, and I think the word you just used there is the key word. They're expecting to feel like they have an answer to this question. And you know, one of the reasons why I wrote my book, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life, is because you know, I, I think we spend way too much time feeling and not enough time doing. And you know, this question of God's will is a lot easier than we make it when we actually look at what Scripture says about it. Let's spend some time talking about this. Um, again, there's this notion, and you talk about it in the book, and we've got a couple of choices here. Uh, we can either wait until God gets us started, or we can go until he stops us. So one thing for sure I find out, certainly this has been true in my own life experience, that if I'm heading down the wrong road, the Lord will surely close a door. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote this book in part because I spent a dozen years at Liberty University with, with you know, thousands of college students that I was trying to influence and trying to lead them and teach them and get them prepared for life. And my door in my office as campus pastor and senior vice president of Liberty was just rolling with students that were, that were struggling with this question. And to a student, nearly every single one would say, you know, I just wish God would show me what to do with my life. God, just show me what I'm supposed to do. And, and they were waiting on the sidelines of life for God to just send them the blinking sign from the sky, for God to fire the gun in the air and say, go. And you know, what, one of the points I make, make in my book, what am I supposed to do with my life, is that God's will is more about going until he stops you, not waiting for him to tell you to go. And, you know, and people push back on that and say, you know, well, that's not that's not what the Bible teaches. But but actually, it's all over the Bible. And the quintessential example is the Apostle Paul. You know, you don't see Paul praying, asking God whether he should go to Athens or uh, or you know Philippi. He just goes. He goes to the places where the people were, and then occasionally God stops him along the road of life. And so I think far too many Christians are sort of waiting on the sidelines of life for God to tell them to go and. They really need to start going and expect God to not open doors as much as shut them. Is there a big practical side to all of this? And, and, and maybe you can answer this question in relationship to um, your own life experience. You, you've made a major career shift from having spent time within academia, counseling, pastoral responsibilities there on campus at Liberty, your, your service as a senior VP of Liberty University, now working in Hollywood and in, in film production with, with some remarkably talented individuals. But many might argue that these are kind of you know, opposite ends of sort of the uh, the um, life skills, life work continuum. I, I would wonder from your own experience, if you had an inkling 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that God would have you wear 
where you are at today. If God had laid out this very perfect roadmap at the very beginning and saying, Johnny, at some point you will be here. Are there a lot of people for whom that would so frighten them to death that they would run in the opposite direction? Well, I'll tell you, I wouldn't have believed God if he would have told me that I would have ended up here doing what I'm doing. But but isn't that what's interesting? I mean, God works in these strange and mysterious ways. And, you know, the the first point I make in the book, which I think is the, the biblical principle when it comes to the will of God, is that God's will is more about who you are than where you are or what you're doing. Mm. It's more about who you are than where you are or what you're doing. You know, this phrase, God's will, that we use all the time, right? I mean, it's one of the most frequently used phrases in Christianity, yet it's not used as frequently in the Bible. It's only used a few times, and its primary usage in the New Testament is when Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, this is God's will, that you be sanctified. He didn't say, this is God's will, that you live in this place or that you do this thing. I, I think God's will, biblically speaking, is more about your character. It's more about who you are than where you are or what you're doing. And so, you know, I, I, and so here I am. You know, some, some people think, did Johnny leave ministry, right? Because he was a pastor and now he's working in Hollywood and, and you know, film and television. And, and actually, it's quite quite the contrary. I mean, you know, I, 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 you know, God led me to work with, with Mark Burnett and Roman Downey, and they're producing unbelievable things. I mean, this Easter Sunday on NBC, you know, a full television series called AD will be debuting, and it's the, uh, the story of the birth of the church in the book of Acts, right? And, and so, you know, somehow God was preparing me for something I didn't know, and then he just sort of interrupted me on the road of life, and he led me a direction, and he didn't stop me, and here I am. You know, you make an excellent point, I think, because so often, particularly in terms of of the context in which we try to sort of box in God and the definition of what it means to be uh, called or to be in, actively engaged in some sort of a ministerial vocation or, or ascertaining God's will for your life, there tends to be, I think, sometimes the misperception that a call always comes with a title, that it, God is preparing me, God's will is that I be a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary. But I think as you're suggesting, Johnny, um, your role in fulfilling God's will for your life doesn't always come with a title, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. And, you know, in fact, you know, the famous missionary in Scripture is the Apostle Paul, but he wasn't actually a missionary in the way that we think of missionaries today. He was a tent maker. You know, he didn't, he didn't live on the support of churches, you know, to, to preach the gospel and give, his, and give his ministry around the world. He actually had a job. He made sense as he traveled around the Roman Empire in the, in the, in the Jewish world at the time. You know, preaching the gospel as he went. And so, you know, in fact, there's this, this really, really interesting moment where, you know, God's doing remarkable, remarkable things. Thousands of people are coming to Christ, and everybody wants to stop what they're doing. They want to leave their jobs, and they want to become preachers like the Apostle Paul. And what Paul says to them, he writes to the church at, at Corinth, he says, no, no, don't do that. Stay in your jobs. Because that's where God's put you. He's put you to be a light in that place. And so, you know, I, I think we really, really get in trouble when we think that, you know, in order to honor God or to do ministry or to preach the gospel or these very spiritual things, you've got to be like a pastor or a missionary. And actually, you know, if you study why the church grew as quickly as it did in the first century, you know, one of the reasons why it grew so quickly is because there were Christians everywhere doing everything. They had totally, were every part of society. They were just living and working normal everyday lives, but they were the lights of the world, making the world a better place as they, they went along. And so I, I think this, this question of God's will gets a little, little messy when we think that if we're going to honor God, then we have to do these very ministerial things. But actually, a lot of times what God wants to, 
to do is not sort of leave the secular world, so to speak, but, but to be light and salt within it. That might be the call. Well, and you make an excellent point in terms of looking at the life of Paul um, or, or so many figures that we see throughout, particularly New Testament scripture, that it, it was less so about them knowing going into all of this what it was that God was going to raise them up to do and rather more about them just going and doing. There was less focus on uh, trying to understand that, you know, Paul, I'm someday going to become the principal writer of the New Testament. No, that that wasn't part of the game for him at all. It was about who he was in his relationship with Christ and simply moving forward. And, and maybe therein lies the key for a lot of us, understanding that God's will is, is not about what you do as much as it is about who you are. Many of those lessons inside the pages of the book we're discussing today with Johnny Moore, it's called, What Am I Supposed to Do With My Life? God's Will Demystified. We'll take a brief time out. We're going to come back to more of our conversation with Johnny tonight. And as we do so, answer the ageless question, is this about an event? Or is it more about process? That is this edition of Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 